Hello and welcome to our Selfish Altruist podcast celebrating volunteering and thank you for joining us. I'm Paul Hutchings, one of the founders of Refugee Support Europe and today I'm talking to Liz Bates. Delighted to be talking to Liz actually. She's currently a doctor in Birmingham and we've um, been working on and off together for about the last six years in Greece and uh, she's now doing many other things in Birmingham which I'm sure we'll come on to. Hello Liz. Hi, nice to see you John. It's, It's really lovely um, to have you um, talking to us about you, you, you know the work you've been doing. Let's let's go back six years um, to when actually both of us first arrived in Greece. Um, we were in a camp called Alexandria, and you went to a rather larger camp and probably a little bit more chaotic camp at Katsikas in Ioannina. Yeah, yeah, that was right. In fact, it was it was almost exactly six years ago this week. Um, it just popped up in my Facebook feed to remind me. Um, and that was when I first heard about John. Um, me and a doctor friend, Richard, had uh, arrived in Greece. Um, that period was really chaotic. It was just after the EU-Turkey deal uh, that was supposed to stop the flow of refugees. Uh, the border at Macedonia was closed and they were dissolving the camp here at um in the many, there was, there was a big camp of about 15,000 people there and they were dissolving it. Um, so they were simultaneously emptying the island and um, dissolving Ioni, dissolving um, Indomeni into smaller camps. And it was, it was quite frankly, chaos. Um, and we uh, had got wind of Katsikas uh, and there was about 900 people there at the time. Um, we were supposed to be going to go and work in um, a clinic on the Greek islands, but that wasn't going to happen because of the uh, because of all the chaos. So we'd um, spoken to an Australian nurse who was working up at Katsikas, uh in the medical tent there, and the Greek army were running the medical um, facilities, but very, very much needed doctors who could be there all day rather than just fitting it in around there other duties um and so we went there um and then meanwhile john was calling richard they'd met in calais saying we've got a camp and we haven't got any medicine we haven't got any medics can you come um but we very quickly realized we had our hands full at katsikas um however a few weeks after i got back from the original trip uh i realized i had some leave up and so i hopped back on a plane and came back out to greece uh, visited Katsikas, which was very much calmer by that stage because a couple of the big medical NGOs had arrived, um, and then visited John over at Alexandria right in the very early days. Um, and I wasn't so much doing medical work there, definitely wasn't doing medical work, um, but I was I was helping uh, John and um, the incoming medical team understand the medical needs on the camp. So going tent to tent, speaking to people, discovering if there was anybody with any acute medical need, helping them get to hospital if they needed to, um, that kind of thing for a week or so with my friend Jenny, who was a nurse. That's really good. So so there's so there's there's a kind of, you know, that's you going in as a as a professional, as a volunteer. What's it like on a personal level? You let me know if you can think back to that sort of first time you walk into 
like say the chaos of Katsi Kasp, I mean, or Alexandria, which had a similar number, a bit less. Yeah, I mean, I just remember thinking, what on earth are we doing? Um, I mean, it's it's you're at home, you make a decision that that's what you're going to go and do. Um, I was very acutely aware that I had never worked in that setting before. Um, and I didn't know how my skills are going to transfer across. I didn't know much about working in low resource medical settings. Um, and my original plan had been to go and work in an established clinic on the, one of the Greek islands in Lesbos. Um, and when that fell through, we ended up doing something a lot more freeform. And it resulted in me walking into the back, into, um, into Katsukas with literally just my home visit bag over my shoulder you know this is the bag I take out to go and visit people in their living rooms in Birmingham um fortunately with Richard who is much more experienced working in those kind of settings and we had a tent with no flooring a bed a fridge that usually worked um and a cabinet with some medicines in it and I just remember standing there thinking what the hell am I doing um how is this going to work? Um, but it very quickly became apparent that actually exactly the skills that I've been trained in, I was only qualified, I'd only been qualified for three years as a GP, I wasn't even that experienced as a GP. The skills I use in, the, in, in somebody's front room in Birmingham or in my consulting room in my GP surgery transfer across into that setting and it's the same medicine and it's the same problems. And it's the same emotions that you're what, what are they? With. Talk us through those, Liz. What what sort of transferable skills and emotions? Um, it's communication. It's it's listening to people and what's wrong with them. Um, when we first arrived, everything was chaos. Um, there were there were they the, the the Greek army doctors were trying to do their best with very 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 limited time. They were literally coming to the camp for a couple of hours in the evening after they'd done their day jobs they were very newly qualified as well and there were 900 people who'd literally just arrived some of them had walked out of Syria three weeks previously um and ambulances were being called and there wasn't there wasn't the time for anybody to listen to anybody um there wasn't time to fix the problems there wasn't time to make people feel heard and understood um and that was what we were able to do and combined with the fact that gps work with undifferentiated problems so anything can walk in our door and we're supposed to know how to deal with that hmm. and or, or what when it needs to go to hospital and or when you need to call an ambulance and that was perfect for that setting in the we could listen, we could recognise what the problem was, we could treat a lot of it and anything that we couldn't, we knew when it needed to go to the hospital and that calmed the entire situation down. And it was, it was, it was really quite amazing to experience that um, and to sort of feel, understand that that that's a universality and that, that, that your training, you can fall back on your training in that way. And it just all clicks into place. And you're working with somebody that we 
me and Richard worked very well alongside one another. We had a couple of people who were helping us with their interpretation and it just all gelled. Mm. And it just mm. all gelled and you could feel the temperature of the emotion in go down because we because within a few days um, and people started trusting us and coming to, you know, actively coming to find us. Um, how, how do you how do you look after? I mean, so you've like you say you fall back on your your skills as a medic there. I mean, how do you how do you look after yourself? Are there skills or are there other sort of personal qualities to make sure that you don't get overwhelmed? And the reason I ask that is because when we were first at Alexandria, like like you said there, John John said there weren't any doctors and people were very very anxious and frantic actually, and so they were coming to us because we were giving out food and hygiene items um, to help them fix their medical problems. And it was just so out of our um, abilities that, um, you, you know, we did we did take help take some people to hospital, but it was it was, you know, it was too much for us mm. and, and it became you know, difficult emotionally to handle. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think I think I don't think I did a terribly good job of handling it when I originally uh, experienced it. I think uh, I think it was it was all well and good when you were kind of caught up in the in the time that we were there because literally we got 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 up in the morning, we went to the camp, we we stayed there all day. We definitely did it did all the wrong things. We we didn't you know Richard was better than I was at sort of making us take take a break and making sure that we got out of the camp in the evening because it was literally you know it could be impossible if you didn't draw boundaries around what you were doing we literally could have been there 24 7 um and and you got up in the morning and you went back to the camp and it was very all-encompassing and there was no time to process it in your own brain when you were there um and I think when I got back I then came back out very quickly again because I don't think had had that time to think things through and the need was so great and I felt that draw to come back and then for a long time that created a lot of turmoil um and I had to understand that I had to sort of have compassion for myself I'd only managed to do what I could do at that particular point in time it wasn't possible to come back again um I had to sort of process what had gone on um, and understand what was happening to people within the context of all the geopolitics, as well as within my own emotional reaction to that. And like you, and I can hear the, the, the themes in your in your podcast, is is it OK to have, have actually in, actively enjoyed some aspects of it? Oh, yeah. And answer, yeah. Yeah. And I think I think my answer to that is yes. Uh, you know. It's okay for it's okay to have pride in the fact that we're good at we're good at applying our medical skills and being a human being at connecting with people on a human lay, level, on 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 laying a calming hand on the situation, and that's that's something solid to be proud of, and it's very you know that's what that's what RSE has got in common with the medical response you walk into a situation you have a lot of experience now a set of skills that you've honed across the whole of your lives that allow you to 
walk into a situation, assess it, see what's needed, work with the partners that are there and produce an effective response and and calm the chaos. Um, and, you know, I think there's a level of, there is a level of trauma when you see other people going through these dreadful events, having their sense of self ripped away from them uh, and their entire lives deconstructed and thrown into chaos. Um, and it and, and it is, it, it's difficult, it's difficult witnessing that. Um, and within that, there are deeper, more traumatic stories that you that you come across and situations that are just feel like they're unsalvageable and people who are stuck in a situation that at the time felt completely hopeless. Nobody knew who was going to get out of Greece and when. Where they were, when they were next going to live in a house and their kids were going to go to school. Um, and time and perspective has shown that all of the people that I stayed connected to who were in that situation, they're all OK now. But it didn't feel like that at the time. Mm. And to walk away and leave that situation was 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 incredibly difficult. Um, but, yeah, you have to be. I think it's OK to have. Enjoyed and found value in what you've done in that setting um, because you haven't wished that situation on the person. Mm. You haven't, you're not responsible for the geopolitics, but you are responsible for society's response to that. Hmm. What a nice way to think about it. Yes, we all need to step up. I mean, one of the things I think that, um, that I learned, that I've learned now, I suppose, is, is, I mean, that, going back to your that that idea of that you mentioned there of um, trying to bring some calm to the chaos. I mean, it's so chaotic and it can be really overwhelming. And I've stood there sometimes and thought, what on earth am I supposed to do about this? I've got a crowd of people around me. They're all demanding stuff. I look around and I can see all kinds of mess and distress. And but actually, um, I think one of the things I've learned is it's is it really boils down to the simple things. And it, you know. That, that thing that you mentioned there about just being able to give people a bit of individuals a bit of time uh, and listening is goes right to the heart of it for me. Yeah, and it, it's an important part. It's an important part of psychological first aid. It's you, you help that. Producing a sense of calm. Enables people to access their own inner resources, which which they, which everybody has but they become inaccessible when you're in a state of chaos and panic um and allowing that to happen you know a lot of what we were doing in the medical tent at Katsikas, it wasn't groundbreaking medicine we were helping fix the minor miseries of life you know we were we were helping to fix a kid with a fever we were helping to fix somebody who had, you know, a urinary tract infection or a chest infection or a migraine. Some of what we were doing was was felt bigger than that. You know, we were helping. There was a there was people in there was somebody in the camp who was paraplegic. There was a couple of people in the camp who had much more serious medical conditions. There were some people in the camp who had trauma you cannot even imagine. But most of what we were doing on a day to day basis was making people feel that there was somebody competent 
and compassionate who could give them five minutes to talk about what was bothering them that particular day. Um, and and that and that we were there when you know they didn't have to fight to see us we were available they could come and find us we would come out to see them we would visit we would visit the tents we would go and find out what people needed um and breaking that kind of you have to have a you have to have boundaries when you're doing that work um but i really don't think at that point it was appropriate for us to have just put the boundaries up hung a plaque outside the door say we were open at nine o'clock in the morning and closed at five o'clock at night when it when it was in that very chaotic period i think when it was calmer and when the the, the immediate need was met we you could do that and you could work in a bit more of a structured way um but you had to build the trust and you had to build the relationships and you had to meet some of the immediate needs before that stability could be um you know before those boundaries could be put in place wonderful and 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 like you say it's so it's okay to feel good about that as well to feel proud and like you've done a good job yeah i mean enjoyed I, think, it. I, I think it's an essential component really because i think i mean coming back to working through a sort of the, the the echoes sort of come down through the years and and we've just worked through a pandemic um where where this where the risk of burnout was very very real we a lot of the human element had been removed from from our work we were working down the phone people felt abandoned we were trying to work in a safe way we were working in a safe way but we weren't giving people that human connection that they needed from their from their doctor um and it, and, it, and, it, and the demand and the need is relentless at the moment and we're working inside a broken system um but i think taking pride in the bits that you can do well, taking pride in the skills that you can apply, being compassionate to yourself. It's protective against burning out and it enables you to keep on going, to keep on doing these things. I mean, you couldn't go keep on going back into these situations if it was always totally hell on wheels, if you didn't have some <laughs> sense true. of pride of a job well done. Yeah. You, you know, it just it wouldn't it wouldn't be humanly possible because that's not how human beings work. You wouldn't get volunteers coming back to see you again and again if they weren't getting that sense of of of, of pride and achievement and and self-actualization out of it. Um, and again, you're not wishing the bad situation on the people. That that that's the geopolitics. That's the that's the natural disaster. That's that's going to happen anyway because that's life. Um, and human nature is that we're going to keep on doing these things to one another. But human nature is also that there's always going to be people who are going to come and try and lay a calming hand on the water and help people reaccess their sense of self when the worst has happened. It's such a valuable insight for me anyway, because um, it's, it's so there's so much guilt around enjoying some of this stuff. It just feels wrong. But actually, the idea that um, it's got a practical value that the only way you can do this is to find the enjoyment and pride and reward because otherwise why would you go back it's almost like a masochistic self-flagellation <laughs> i mean why that would you know that's it's unsustainable you know even soldiers going to war yeah. they don't go to war because they want to be 
in those vile, vile experiences. They go to war because they take pride in, in applying their skills and their training and their, the camaraderie with their colleagues. And I, I don't want to apply it to something like that because, you know, in, in, the, in the perfect world, there wouldn't be a war. But, you, you know, it's all very, very intrinsic to human nature to, to, to need those things and to want those things. Uh, and, you know, if you weren't, if you weren't, if, if, if we didn't have it, we wouldn't do it. So that's all great now. And what about so the other thing that we talk about a fair bit with volunteers is um, how to talk about it with people that you've not volunteered with when you come back. Do you do that? Yeah, um, it's how's that go? It's, it's been a little bit messy at times, to be honest. Um, what, so one of the things one of my roles was at the time when I was working doing this was I was a university lecturer. Um, and I was really privileged to be asked to speak on the Masters in Public Health course at Birmingham. And it, this was really, really soon after I'd just come back. I think it was in the autumn after I'd come back in the early summer. And my head was all over the place about it. I was uh -oh. angry. I was raging. I was um, the, the mess of the of the official response to this situation and the the geopolitics around it and the fact that people were being used as pawns and people were still stuck in the camps with no way out um and and I, I don't think I processed it all and I stood up and I gave a very 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 messy lecture about it um with really bearing my heart on my sleeve um and, and I look back now and it's kind of that's I yeah I look back now and I think gosh I really shouldn't have I really should have pulled it together a bit more um and it's taken about three or four years really it took about three or four years really to process that lecture I gave it every year um and obviously was supplementing it with other experiences and other situations and um, a bit more of academic reading and all of that stuff um and I actually it, you know that that lecture really only came together over the course of about four years because it took me that long to process what was happening and how it was happening and how it was still going on um, and, and putting that in a sort of uh, academic what context. Was, what was going on in that first lecture? I could see a Liz kind of raging at the lectern. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was kind of, I mean, I don't think I was raging. I was just kind of pouring it all out there, the whole story of what was going on and, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people stuck in a collapsing, in, in Greece, which was a collapsing economy with no help, you know, with a with a health budget that had been cut by 50% since 2008. And, you know, uh, and it was basically just putting the story of, of all of the, all of the waste of, finances and human potential and you know the 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 you know the everything just everything just being this huge mess of 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 complete failure of of the response of Europe to this what was actually a relatively small yeah. crisis it wasn't it wasn't you know in the context of the whole continent yeah. this was not a big problem it was just all landed on Greece's plate with no resources yeah. um, and the amount of money that was wasted it was probably the single most expensive humanitarian crisis in the whole of history at that time there was something like 70 billion pounds just went up in smoke um, 
and it took a long time to kind of put that in context uh, and then also come back and integrate that back into my life back in the UK um, I spent after I'd been in Catskis I spent some time coming back and forward to Athens and I was working in the in 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 the squats and in exarchia um in various different places with various with with um with some medical organizations and some legal organization legal organizations sort of working in medical advocacy helping people access healthcare. um and i hopped back and forward for quite a while between the uk and greece um until my current job came up my current gp job came up and it wasn't possible anymore um and yeah I, and it sort of seeing the Greek solidarity response and the Greek anarchist response within Athens was was really valuable because you could see people pulling together using the structures of society that they had built to cope with the economic collapse um, to to meet the needs of the refugees in Athens um, and I, 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 I could sort of see back at home, we have a big refugee population in Birmingham and a lot of organisations working. So I took some of that back, back to Birmingham and started looking for how to apply that at home um, and how to sort of work within the structures that are here. Uh, and I built, I started going to a lot of meetings and working with a lot of little organisations in Birmingham. Uh, working with my current GP practice um, and sort of managed to pull together a sort of sideline of my career working with Doctors of the World to build their medical response in Birmingham uh, and now Freedom from Torture. So I sort of took all of that anger and energy and pulled out all the good things from what I'd learned from working in Greece and integrated it into my life in the UK. And that kind of helped me balance out all of that anger and find a direction for all of that energy um, to channel it in a bit more productively rather than me standing on a lecture stage raging at people. <laughs> wow. And down the pub and uh, talking everybody's <laughs> ear off about it. That, I mean, that highly inspirational kind of happy ending is probably a good place for us to finish. I mean, it's such a great story. And I mean, the other thing to mention there as well is you've been instrumental in helping to resettle the family that came over from um, Jordan, the Sudanese, South Sudanese family that's now in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, Coming up to a year now and uh, I mean, settling in quite nicely. Yeah, and it's another it's another really nice circle in all of this. Um, yeah. I said one of the things I wanted to talk about was all the points at which we'd had intersected with RSE. Mm. But sort of you came, but obviously you came back to Catsicus when Catsicus was in another iteration. Yeah. Um, but John came out to Birmingham, and I was, you know, John obviously lives in Birmingham and has lived in Birmingham for a long time, and I lived in Birmingham, so it was really nice. Uh, uh, when he chose to come back and be a bit more settled here and then start to look for bills and projects here, which is kind of how I came to be involved with you guys. Wonderful. Well, I hope, Liz, that we can continue to insect <laughs> for as long as we do this work and um, well, as, as long as we're both here and fighting. Thank you very much um, for being selfishly altruistic. And thank been... you to everyone. Go on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, yeah. 
Great. And for me too, and I hope for everyone listening, um, this is part of our regular, irregular series of conversations, building on our Standing with Refugees series, uh, which you can also find um, this and that on our any podcast service. Like, please give us a review. You can always send me an email. Um, you can find me online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do a search for Refugee Support Europe. You'll find us. And please do get in touch. Thank you.